let's take a moment to reflect just a little bit on how the liturgical year is structured, how this formation program through the liturgy, this, uh, this uh, teaching or education in the school of the heart, how it really unfolds. You know the center of the year is Easter, the Easter Triduum, the whole year revolves around that and we're getting close now to the beginning of the season of preparation for Easter, that is Lent, Ash Wednesdays on Wednesday. And the center of each week is Sunday. Now the Sunday, the Sunday liturgy has its own cycle. You know that on the, on the Sundays we're reading excerpts from the Sermon on the Mount every Sunday. The weekdays have a kind of complementary cycle, as you know, and the past two weeks we've been reading from the book of Genesis. And the reason why I bring this up is because suddenly today's first reading is not from Genesis, it's from the letter to the Hebrews, which seems completely unconnected at first. We jumped from Genesis chapter 11 up to Hebrews chapter 11. Well, uh, the reason for that is this. Uh, the, the weekday liturgies have this cycle and there's this uh, tendency to read continuously through one book or through one section of a book or semi-continuously. And the section of Genesis that we just read was chapters 1 to 11, which is a whole unit of the, of the book. In the beginning of Genesis chapter 12, it starts with the story of Abraham, and that's another another chapter, another, a new beginning. So the liturgy or the liturgist decided, let's not start a whole new thing on a Saturday. Let's choose a selection from the letter to the Hebrews, which refers to what we just studied for the past two weeks in Genesis. And it, it's, uh, I'll get to that in just a minute. Now, the other question that comes to mind has to do with the gospel. Why do we suddenly read about the transfiguration again? We're going to hear about the Transfiguration in a couple of weeks because it's always the second Sunday of Lent. So, and we always hear about the Transfiguration on the Feast of the Transfiguration in August. Well, why do we have, why do we have it now? Well, that's because we're reading continuously through the Gospel of Mark, and this is where it falls. We're up to Mark chapter 9 here. So I'll get to that, we'll get back to that. Let's go back to Hebrews here. This is the section from the letter to the Hebrews, which is uh, pointing to the great heroes of faith of the Old Testament, the, the ans our ancestors in faith. And it starts out with this description of faith. Faith is the realization of what is hoped for and evidence of things not seen. Faith has this combination of something that we know, but we don't really know. We, 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 we glimpse it, but we don't see it in its fullness. It's something we don't see with our eyes, at least not yet. And then the, the passage uh, makes reference to a number of, a number of uh, sections from Genesis, early parts of Genesis, starting out with the creation. By faith we understand that the universe was ordered by the word of God so that what is visible came into being through the invisible. This is a great principle to have explicitly stated that what is visible came into being through the invisible. Meaning God, a spiritual power, is what orders the physical creation. 
don't, maybe it doesn't seem that significant to you, but a lot of people think that the physical creation took on its own order. It just happened by itself, randomly. Or there is no such thing as order. It's all just accidental confusion. It just looks orderly sometimes. But here, the principle of faith is no. The order in creation is the, as a result of what is invisible. God, who, who spoke a word and said, let this be, and let it be like this, and let it be good. So we studied that last week. Then the next thing he mentions, this letter to the Hebrews mentions, is Abel. Now, remember, this is all an instruction on faith. So it, it bypasses the questions that people keep bringing up. How come Cain and Abel, or, you know, who would they get married to? They didn't have nobody else in the world. Why is Cain worried about people killing him? He's the only one. All these kind of questions. Well, that's not what... That's not what Genesis addresses, and that's not the lesson that we pick out in the letter to the Hebrews. It's all about faith. These are instructions on faith. What about this Abel? It says, it says by faith, Abel offered to God a sacrifice greater than Cain's. Abel's sacrifice was offered in faith. He, he, he offered a physical gift as an expression of something invisible, he, he did something that he couldn't see, couldn't see God, but he could know by faith that he was making a gift to God. It's, it's a great example. Cain didn't have that. The next one he mentions is Enoch. Now, we didn't read about Enoch. We skipped over that last week, but Enoch is the one who was taken up. Taken up. He, he, because he pleased God. And then the principle that this letter pulls out reflecting on the case of Enoch, is he must have had faith. Because if he pleased God, he must have had faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Anyone who approaches God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This is faith. Faith is, yes, to believe that God exists. A lot of people believe that. Even the demons believe that. So there's something more to faith than simply believing God exists. There's also this belief that he rewards those who seek him, meaning there's a willingness to submit to God, to follow him. And that's what Enoch must have done, judging a tree by its fruits. We don't know much about Enoch. Other than that, he must have been a man of great faith. And then it skips up to Noah. We just read about Noah the last couple of days. Noah warned about what was not yet seen. He built an ark. He built an ark when there was no flood yet. There was no water. It was an act of faith. He put his trust in the word of God. He obeyed what God said, built this big ark, and, and because of that faith, he was saved, he and his family. So that's, that's instruction on faith by looking at the book of Genesis. Now, when it comes to faith, it's, it's important to, to know what we see and what we don't see. And this is where today's gospel helps us a lot. Because the three apostles on the Mount of the Transfiguration see the glory of God. They see the glory of God shining on the face of Jesus. He's transfigured in glory right before them. They see him. That, that's not faith. <laughs> not faith. They saw with their eyes. But then, after this moment of glory... They don't see it anymore. 
disappears. And, and faith has, now we don't, none of us have seen probably anything that glorious, but faith is like this. We have a glimpse of something to come, something real or something that, that exists, but we just can't see it with our eyes. If we didn't have any glimpse of it, well, then we couldn't make any decision about it. We wouldn't even know about it. We have to have something, either we're told about it, or we have a hint about it, or we read about it, and there is something more than what we can see with our eyes or what we can examine with our scientific method. There's something more, and there's, and there's certainly something more in the future. So we get this glimpse of glory, you could say. Maybe you could think of it this way. Um, Sometimes if you go to a grocery store or a mall, uh, somebody who's promoting a product will give you a little sample. Here, taste this. Taste a little bit of this uh, chocolate. And then you taste the sample. Wow, delicious. But what's the effect? Well, we want more. <laughs> and that's why they do it, so that you'll buy the product. No. It, 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 you can't, you're not satisfied with just one taste. That's what the transfiguration is. It's a taste of glory. It's, a, it's, a, it's an hors d'oeuvre. It's a, it's, a, it's a prefiguration of the banquet that is before us. Now, if we didn't have any taste, if we didn't have a sample, well, we wouldn't think about the banquet, just like in the mall. If you don't get the sample, you wouldn't even think about buying that expensive bit of chocolate or whatever it is. You don't think of it. But as soon as you taste it, then you, then you want some. So this is what Jesus does. He, he gives a, a glimpse to the apostles and to us of something glorious. Now, why does he do this? Again, I have to see how the gospel unfolds progressively. A couple of days ago, Jesus asked the, the same apostles, who do you say that I am? And, and Peter was the one who said, well, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the one. And, and, and then Jesus said, you're right, don't tell anybody. And this is how it's going to work. I'm going to suffer, die, and rise again. And, and Peter said, no, no, <laughs> he didn't like that idea. So Jesus had to put him in his place and correct him. Then the next thing, I think that might have been yesterday's gospel, uh, the, after Jesus, in I think it was Wednesday or Thursday, revealed who he is and, the, and, and what, it, what his course is going to be, then there was an instruction on the course of the the disciples, if you're going to follow me, take up your cross, deny yourself, follow in my footsteps. So we have a picture of what Jesus is all about, then an instruction about what his disciples are all about. They have to follow in the same path of self-emptying, of dying and rising. Now, we understand suffering, and we have a pretty much basic understanding of death. We don't like it. But this idea of rising from the dead, we don't have much idea about that because we've never experienced it. We don't know what it is. And so for Jesus to say, I'm going to suffer and die and rise again, it's, uh, it's troubling to us. And then when he says, no, you have to follow me, you have to suffer and die and rise again. And then that's really troubling. So he gives them this vision of the, of the, of the, of the rising, the glory so that the whole picture makes more sense to them. So Peter, James, and John, from this moment on, have at least something in mind about 
rising from the dead. And, and the, Jesus makes this connection. You know, don't tell anybody about this until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And so they keep this matter to themselves, questioning what rising from the dead means. Well, what does rising from the dead mean? Well, it means something like this glory shining on his face. It means something that is greater than anything we have ever experienced or, or seen. More dazzling than any fuller on earth could bleach anything. So that's what we're looking forward to. And we, we, we don't see it with our eyes, but we do see it in faith. Faith is, how does Hebrews say it? The realization of what is hoped for and evidence of things not seen. Not seen, but still glimpsed. Hoped for, we don't have it yet, but we have a real hope that it's a real, a real uh, glory is a real destination for which uh, we are, are uh, toward which we are headed with confidence. So with confidence in God, with faith, with perseverance in times of struggle, we, we continue our pilgrimage to glory.